RadioInfluence.com. Hey gang, Captain Mike Anderson here. Real Animals podcast presented by Contender Boats. Today I got to sit down and have a conversation with my good friend Mike Mahoney from T.A. Mahoney Company. He's the co-host of my Sunday morning radio show over on 620 WDAE. That's an iHeart station. Michael and I have been doing that show together for about nine years now, I guess. And uh, I was really excited to get him in here and, and just be able to talk. You know, no callers, no nothing. Just the two of us kind of get in here, have a great conversation. Really hope you guys enjoy the uh, show as much as I enjoyed doing it. Today, my good friend Mike Mahoney from T.A. Mahoney Company joins me here to uh, chat a little Tampa Bay fishing. I want to pick your brain a little. How are you today, buddy? I'm not going to give you any fishing spots. Come on. I want fishing spots. No, Man, I can't believe you do me like that. How about um, the clam bar? (laughs) That's a good one. You've probably been over there this time of year. Oh, I bet. Right now, as a matter of fact. I wanted to take an opportunity to kind of break it down. You and I get to talk every Sunday morning. We talk about what's going on kind of on a daily basis. We get to talk about our hunting trips and all that good stuff. You and all your crazy poaching stories. Some of the stuff we can't talk about. (laughs) Wait for the break. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we get to talk about those now on this one? (laughs) Great. Yeah, we're going to cut it loose. Y'all sit down. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to kind of break down a little bit, you know, for the listeners about T.A. Mahoney Company in general. The date was 1946, right? That's right. 1946, uh, we got the first building. And that was in the port, in the Tampa Port area, right? That's right. It was right across from like all the stevedoring companies right down right downtown, really. Right. Yeah. Uh, you remember the Sea Escape? That was almost directly across the street. There was a real bad corner there where Thirteenth turned into Platt Street, which is uh, what do they call that now? Where the aquarium and all that is. What road is that? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Yeah, I try not to go down. <laughs> they changed the name to it, but that was 13th and Platt right there on the corner. Ray Bro was next to us. Our two buildings actually touched right on that corner. But before then, when my grandfather started, like you said, 1946, he bought that property on it like a tax deed type thing where somebody didn't pay the taxes. It was a real small building coming out of the Depression. Um, one of the things I don't really talk about a lot, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity to. We're talking fishing on air. But right after the Depression, my grandfather moved down here from Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, he had at the time one three kids that were born up there. They moved down here. And he led the crew right after the Depression that built Bayshore Seawall. Okay. So that used to be a beach over there, and that was one of the first things that they had done after the Depression was build that. And he would work guys like three days and then lay them off and have new guys come in for two or three days, kind of spread the money around. Once he finished that, he was able – he made some money. He was able to buy that building, and it was uh, it was actually a body shop, like a service station. I don't even know – you know, maybe I think they bought an old truck, right. pulled it in there and rebuilt it within a year. And it was like a one-ton or ton-and-a-half truck. It wasn't a small one. Once they sold that, after that first year, they went in the marine hardware business. But all along, it's been T.A. Mahoney. 
Um, and the marine hardware probably, I mean, was that a family thought, or was that because you were down there in the port well, and there was a need for that's it? That's what I would think. I think that he bought the building and got this truck knowing he would make money on it. I had never had an opportunity to meet him oh, or okay. anything else. He died uh, early 50s. Um, what had happened was once he did that, you had all those stevedoring companies down there in the port asking for block and tackle, for cable, for hooks, and all that kind of stuff. And that's really where it started. Um when I came, I probably came back there 30 years ago, and we were a little more into retail than wholesale. And then since the move, when the aquarium, you know, they intimate domain, they forced us out there with the city of Tampa. Um, we moved locations, and that's where we've been since 96. Corner of 50th and Adamo here in Tampa Bay now. Yeah. So... And I, I think in, in hindsight, though, that probably all worked out pretty good. For you oh, yeah, for up. sure. But, you know, everybody you talk to in business, when you move location, it doesn't really matter where you're moving to. You don't really know. Right. Um, a lot of people would say to us, I can't believe y'all are moving to Brandon. And you're like, well, it's five minutes. It's on 41. <laughs> Brandon, don't start till Falkenberg, you know. I mean, but that's the kind of response we got. And we have a lot of customers that have been around for generations. Sure. I mean, it's uh, it's really neat to see when you see those generations come up through there, okay. um, coming through the store. But, you know, we've also got a ton of new people that are coming to town. I mean, as we all know, this area has grown tremendously. And a lot of those people shoot for this area because they're into the water, boating and having fun and all the stuff that we get to do all the time, sure. you know. So a lot of new customers, and, we, you know, it's been a great home right there on the corner. It's been kind of aggravating when you're on an intersection like that. Um, one of the things we didn't think about, you know, when you build the place, we're on a state road, on a federal road, and in the city limits in Hillsborough County. So when you go to get permits, it's like you got to <laughs> talk to everybody, and it was like a year in permitting, <laughs> You know, and you, you watch it. What's funny is you watch enough TV, and we were getting that intimate domain stuff. And when we finally got to where we needed to be, it was right where we said we should be a year before, but they wanted to battle us for us, and they gave us the same amount we asked for a year before. But they got rid of that attorney. I think the port <laughs> did, the port authority, after that whole ordeal. Replaced them. <laughs> it, uh, you never know what's going to happen. And like you said, it's it's really been a blessing that. Uh, a lot of the people, you know, it's not us. It's not when I, you know, I tell people all the time, it's not me. Right. I'm no different than anybody else. It's my customer. My customer is striving for something better, whether it's information or service or whatever it is, and I provide that. Most customers drive past several places to get what they want from me. Right. And I thank them. They can, you know, there's all kinds of competition around. I just... I'm really thankful for that, and that's a, what's kept I, us here. I had an interesting conversation yesterday with uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, and you know Jim Bickle from Gator oh, yeah. Gyms. And it seems to me that the world in general is going away from relationships. I mean, you meet salespeople, and you talk to these executives who have teams of salespeople, and they move people around like checkers on a board. And I'm like, hold on a minute. You know that guy's had that account for like eight years. Now you're just going to move him? to go put him on something else where he doesn't have the relationship and you're going to put another person in over here where he doesn't have the relationship with the customer you're trying to keep. 
So I think what's neat about Mahoney's and just from you and I being friends so long and I've been a customer there since before I sure. you know started guiding. So 20, 25 years I've been coming in the store. It's how many people come in and you guys know them right away when they walk in the door. Those relationships make, I think, T.A. Mahoney Company go. Well, the way you yeah, treat oh, people, sure. you know. Everybody, I think it's kind of a known thing here in Tampa Bay. And if you're listening anywhere in the country and you're coming to visit Tampa and you decide, you know what, I'm going to go check out T.A. Mahoney Company, know that there's a good chance when you walk in the door that Michael Mahoney may give you a hard time. No, <laughs> it could, no. It well, could happen. Yeah, if you get to know me, I might. <laughs> yeah, might. I've been known to. And you know what? I, I look around sometimes. We'll just be joking around. Mike walks in. He's like, you know, eight foot seven. <laughs> 600 pounds and i'll come around the corner barely even scratching six foot with my hat on and uh, i'll start popping off telling mikey looks tiny and his arms are small let's arm wrestle for it and you look at the people around they're all laughing they it's are, a good yeah. time yeah. truly enjoy everything i do yeah um don't i'm not driving big fancy mercedes and motor yachts and all that kind of stuff but i have a good time and i help people out and it's just it's uh i couldn't ask for anymore yeah you know for a job you know we all want to have you know fancy sports cars and just whatever we want it will we think about that lottery and hitting it those you know billion dollars and what we'd do with it but in reality you got to be happy and i'll tell you i get up and i want to be there yeah Unless the tide's right or the moon's right and it's hunting season and the rut's going on, you know. But I still will drop of a hat and be there in a minute. Yeah. You know, I don't promote a lot of stuff I do. I helped a guy out 20 years ago on the side of the road by the Alify. The guy still comes in my store. Sure. You know, because the way we look at things is, you know, I don't really care about today. And I never have. I want you for a customer forever. Sure. So I'm never going to try to misguide you to go to something that I may make a little more money on. If I believe in it, I'll tell you that. I think people lose sight of that big time. You know, that that people know when they've been treated well and they come back. I've got a, an auto shop down in Riverview, Boyd's Automotive. I yeah, use Mr. People. Boyd as an example all the time because I literally dropped my F-250 off. It was, I don't know, a year and a half old or something. I hadn't touched it. Towing boats all over the place. I was fishing the tournament trail. I'm towing boats everywhere. My brakes got to be shot. They got to be shot. Just, it's time for a brake job. Mr. Boyd, do my brakes. Okay. Be here at five, pick it up. I'm like, okay. Rolling at five o'clock. He's like, yeah, the backs were shot, but the fronts weren't too bad. So I just did the backs. Now he could have replaced them all. Yeah, charge. And charge me. Yeah. And I'd been like, oh, thank God, Mr. Boyd. I really appreciate it. Oh, Take not care even, of me. Got know. me in and out one day. Could have just not done them in well, charge. It's <laughs> true too. But I'm saying to me, I thought to myself right away, I thought, I will come back here forever. Sure. Because I know that you're only going to fix what needs to be fixed. Well, and that's something you're not going to get just anywhere. Sure. Yeah, you, you know, don't. That, that yeah. service, people that care. And we all know people who've bounced around and been in different things and don't, you know, kind of made a problem for themselves sure. with who they are but yeah. you know that's one thing we try to do we just try to help and we're no different than anybody else you know i mean everybody's coming there we got a good location it's uh it's a legendary place t.a mahoney company in tampa they know all about it in venice louisiana and all, oh, kinds, yeah. of, all kinds of parts. my second home <laughs> right. if i ever disappear you can start looking there <laughs> exactly I, you better be wearing orange and maybe have a gun when you go there but you may want to start there yeah for for sure. But let's 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 talk about Mike the outdoorsman a little bit. 
I mean, obviously the the business is incredible, and they've been a big part of Real Animals, the radio show, the TV show, all the things that I've been able to do. And now you and I are good friends. But what I mean, what is it about the outdoors? I mean, did you start fishing and hunting when you were a kid with your with your dad? I mean, yeah, the fishing uh, started immediately. You know, it was like my dad was really into fishing, going to the Keys five or six times a year. And, you know, as I was probably, I'm thinking, eight years old, first time I was down in the Keys, you know, shell roads off the beaten path and right. uh, really met some good people that are still down there now, uh, families. But probably started about then. At that point, it was more of a, I wasn't a real good kid. I'm sure that surprises you. <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked. Me telling you that. But I was kind of a lot to handle, you know. I mean, to be honest with you, the pain thing of getting spanked or whatever else wasn't really no big deal to me at that by eight years old. So when my dad would ask to go to the Keys, ask the wife, hey, can I go with some guys? Oh, yeah, but you're taking him with you, you know. So And I hated it. I hated fishing. I mean, because I – we started out in a 16-foot wooden boat with a 75 Mercury on it. It was a floating fuel tank. Uh, I've been to 120 foot of water in it. I mean, he would go out no matter what, Just and I used to get really sick, and it wasn't, no, you know, nowadays, yeah. <laughs> if you didn't bring a kid in today when he was sick, boy, they would really, <laughs> right. I just ran 100 miles. We burned 300 gallons of fuel. You want me to go back? Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> little junior sick well let him crawl up there like i used to that's what i'm thinking but you know whatever I, my dad was a little tougher on me yeah. i guess but the desire finally got there you know grew on me i used to lay down and not even fish and they'd start catching them and i'd jump up and i love you know how can you say you'd never like catching fish but the whole waiting game i wasn't sure. into so patience it's tough to be yeah tough to find patience when you're a little guy or a little gal oh yeah yeah well they could and, and you know they could contain me in a 16 foot boat i wasn't running off nowhere getting into trouble and you know <laughs> as far as the hunting goes i was probably in my late 20s 30s when i first started hunting um course pigs being here in florida was some of the first and then uh went into alligators pretty heavy really like that but what really thrilled me the most about hunting and it does about fishing is i can go out there and shoot all kinds of animals and i love shooting animals i mean and you may think i'm sick or no, something but to watch you know, a I deer don't. take a bullet and just cringe and know that it's all over at that point it's uh it's like a rush, right? It's exciting. Sure. Well, you put in the drum. time, the effort. The, but the you know what the best animal. is? That I'm doing good for nature. I'm taking out an old buck. I found the one that should be taken out to better the herd so I can actually go out there, kill stuff, and it's good. The next generation, there'll be animals there that'll be better. Sure. Uh, biologists tell us this. They tell us what to kill, how many. Everybody knows you got to shoot old ones. Well, there's um, a certain, there's a certain, and a lot of people don't know this. <clears throat> there's there's certain, it's um, the word I'm looking for. Takes. I mean, a, a certain amount of of deer tags permits. That's right. In certain areas like Wisconsin, where you're growing up, management. They would tell you, you know, this year we're going to give away five thousand doe permits. And you may get one, you may not. But if you got one, you get to take a doe. Right. And they did that all based off of 
you know, the science count. and yeah. herd count and all That's that right. stuff. You know, as as populations have grown in areas where we hunt, Georgia, Alabama, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Ohio. Management changes. Well, and because you, you have the, the, the land can only handle so many deer. That's right. You know, before or they, they all go downhill. Or they all go right. downhill and or you have more car accidents and more issues on yep. highways and all that stuff. And I've been in a vehicle. When it hit a deer crossing the road, it'll it'll, it'll oh, wake I've you up. I've seen some torn it'll up wake stuff. You up. Yeah, it'll yeah, wake you sure. up pretty good. I mean, it'll take it'll take a vehicle out of commission. So, I mean, I think all of that goes into that whole hunting and well, the same way thing. with alligators. We target when we get those two permits. We target the biggest we can. That would be the oldest. We you know alligators eat their own. So, a big thirteen foot male is only in love for a week and after that he's going to kill anything that goes near him really he just, unless he if he's hungry absolutely um they'll eat their the young you know the same the offspring is of the male will come in there and he'll eat them you know without that female keeping <clears throat> him away so that's what we try to do to hold to make it better right um i enjoy hunting it's just getting away you know when you're in the city all the time and it's just peace of mind it's like being on a boat i've never liked i love wintertime fishing but i hate foul weather wintertime fishing sure you know and i've just taken one too many 30 degree days shot of salt water <laughs> in the face as we run out 100 miles i'm just not into that right anymore i've done it inshore and it's been fun and you know, being able to locate fish all year—it's great, but you got to be out there every week, you know, all the time. So I, I think one of the things that's interesting about you and in, in in being friends with you all these years now, <clears throat> when I first met you, you were pretty dialed in on the snook fishing. You were snook, big snook, bigger snook, yeah, biggest sit snook. all day for a bite. I mean, he's a big one. you were working yeah. on big fish all the time. And here in the last couple of years, it seems like your passion has slid offshore. How did that happen and why did that come to be? Well, you know, I, I started offshore. My dad's an oh, offshore yeah, okay. fisherman. Well, so 100 mile I, runs as a kid in well, a 16 no, no, foot no. boat. <laughs> it was, but it took just as long. It wasn't 100 miles, but, man, you know, Mexican Pride, I've been there in a 16 foot wooden boat. Oof. That's a. Uh, thinking 20 something 32 miles something around yeah, there you it's a know long trip i've caught big red snapper off there that's how long ago i fished it wow so it's i'm only 52 but it's i've seen a lot i've seen you know sailfish out there great whites i've seen in that 16 foot boat <laughs> yeah so when i came inshore there was a guy named pork chop if anybody remembers him years and years ago he fished uh kingfish circuit and he was part of hydrosport for a while there but his mouth would always get him in trouble a little bit and they separated ways but probably one of the best fishermen top five i've been around uh he's still around he's up in mississippi uh selling boats i think but i was with him he said hey he showed me a 20 pound snook never been snook fishing i was probably 21 22 years old he's like uh, hey you want to catch one tonight and i said sure you catch bet. one like that he goes yeah get your license so i got my license you know snook stamp whatever yeah. it was and back then you could keep big ones back in the good old days right. fillet a big 40 incher <laughs> we went down to Ancloat power plant we ran offshore a few miles gave a guy 20 bucks got some hand-picked shrimp it was a shrimp boat 
He wasn't going to help us. He didn't slow the boat down. He said, y'all get on and pull them. I'll let you get them, but I ain't stopping. So they were just working, and he nosed me up there. They weren't going that fast. I picked out probably two or three dozen for 20 bucks like lobster. Wow. Went back to the power plant. It was cold, and there's a jetty out there. He explained to me, let it throw it here. Current brings it down. Boom. Caught a 15-pound snook, and it was done. I was nothing but snook at that point. <laughs> Why am I going you know, in the rain and the waves to go fish this offshore, and I can catch 15, 20-pound fish here. Well, four years later, I caught my next keeper. You know, it was, <laughs> yeah. wasn't yeah. easy. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like – now, if you caught a 40-inch fish in the bay back then, you did something. Right. Especially if it wasn't spring. You know, everybody can catch fish in the spring. Sure. When they come uh, we, out hungry, pour out of the back country. Middle of the summer, to go to the beach. Yeah. Go yeah. to Blinds Pass with Absolutely. dead shad and throw one out there, and you'll get a 20-pounder. It's right. pretty easy. Right. Um, you catch one in the fall, you're doing something, even though they're on the same patterns. A little bit different bait. They have a different attitude, too, headed into That's the right. wintertime versus headed out to spawn. Two totally different mindsets. So the final straw, I think, for going offshore, just to let you know, is uh, they started checking me all the time. <laughs> And I was like, the fish cops, they were like waiting for me at the ramp. I got like a name to catch these monsters. And, you know, they changed the rule. Uh, I don't know. It had to be, what, 20 years ago? Wow. So when they changed the rule, I wasn't real happy about it because I kind of felt like the people that wanted the rule change couldn't catch big fish. And I used to tell them, when you change the rule, you're still not going to catch big fish because you can't. You don't know where they're at. Right. You know, I've been with, you know, some good people and a 20-pound snook, if you don't get, you know, if you don't mess up most of the time, that's you know what fish. he is. That's a tough fish tough to keep fish your to cool. You bet. Tough so fish to, to catch. Sometimes you don't even look. You don't even want to look. Turn your head the other way and just keep <laughs> reeling and hope you get him in because yeah. your heart's going so fast. So. I just started going offshore. There was so much pressure inshore, Mike. I, I mean, I fished McDill and I fished Whedon, and I am all for change and more people coming because more boaters and more fishermen are more customers for me. Sure. So I enjoy it. I enjoy sharing it with people. But it was nice back then. You didn't have – you could go pull up on a flat. And I used to fish Mondays. Nobody fished Mondays. Right. It's like I'd work all weekend and come Monday, it's time to go. Right. Nobody on the water. Me and Jerry Williams. <laughs> right. And thankful for people like that. It's not like I, you know, taught myself. Sure. But I had a little leverage. Jerry'd never take me fishing. Well, he bought a new boat. He needed a trailer. Where do you go to get your trailer? Mahoney's. <laughs> Came up to get his trailer. I said, Well, you got a choice now. Buy a trailer from me take me fishing or don't buy a trailer and don't take me fishing <laughs> which one do you want to do that was my first trip That's i muscled him into it captain jerry williams oh downtown jerry williams yeah learned a lot i know you talked to eric bocknick mirror lure and jerry's probably one of the best with it and he taught me a lot down there in downtown you know sure but uh yeah went offshore started enjoying going back to catch big fish and i'm still kind of the same way i'd run out there and and catch two or three fish and have the best day if on certain fish. You know, sure. like that day I went and got them two Wahoo last October. It was a plan I put together. I am no 
great offshore fishermen. I just put together some other stuff some guys said. I looked at the currents. I said, man, if they're there in 1,100 feet, they ought to be in 400. Shot out there to 400, threw a bait out, and boom, 50-pound wahoo. It that's was like, crazy. I mean, you don't get many of them. But that's, isn't it, that, that's, that's what draws us in, I think, oh, yeah. to hunting and fishing as an outdoorsman. It's that ability to put it together. You know, I cheat the system big time because I've got so many through 19 years of guiding. I'm at a marina that has a, a pile of captains. I've got a lot going on. i got a busy schedule. I'm filming here. I'm filming there. I may not be on the water for a week, which as a charter captain is a long time. Yeah. Um, but so my network is huge. But there's always days, always days where you haven't been on the water in a week and the weather was crappy and neither have they. So you go and you have to put it all together yourself. So those are always my favorite days when somehow, some way, I hit two or three spots where they should have been and they're not. And then somehow, over the next three hours, I put it together and we ended up having a banner day. And then it's my turn to call the boys and go, hey, you fishing tomorrow? Yeah, well, guess what? They're here, they're here, they're here. That west wind moved them here. You know right. what I mean? Oh, Just yeah. like you said, kind of figuring that piece out, like, the Wahoo should be here. Well, and when that's you a go network. there and it works, it's so cool. Yeah, the network gives you that. Yeah, they give you the ideas of what they've been doing over the last few days. It's just uh, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. It's a little easier for me because when they go, okay, where were you? Where'd you get them Wahoo? I look at them and go, I was 107 miles southwest of Anna Maria, <laughs> one way. Okay, you want the number? And they go, oh well, no, maybe not. And I said, that's where I was at. There wasn't nobody out there. Right, I was out there by myself. Yeah. Uh, it's I've pretty, made, that's I've what I that enjoy about once. it. I made that trip once, 134 miles one way. You get out there and it's pretty lonely. There isn't a lot of people out there. I'll tell you what's kind of eerie is going across. I went across at night um, to Venice, Louisiana. So we went in the mouth of the Mississippi. It's like 397 miles to the mouth of the river from <sighs> John's Pass. And we left at 5 o'clock in a center console boat and – I'll tell you what, middle of the Gulf, it's uh, them skies are clear. <laughs> you, I mean, it's unbelievable. I've never seen any. I've been up to Canada and I hunt and yeah. all that stuff. The the sky where there's no pollution out there is just no unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. Um, no doubt. Big fish out there, stuff they don't even know about. I think they got horns on them once you get out there to about a thousand <laughs> foot of water. Right. That's where the unicorn fish lives. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. So, who would you say? I mean, is there one person, I know you talked about your buddy Porkchop, and I know somehow Jerry Williams worked his way into this conversation, which isn't a big yeah. surprise, but is there one person on the fishing side of, of Mike Mahoney's world that you would say kind of inspires you the most, somebody that you look up to the most? And I know you may be in a bad situation there because you might be leaving some people out because you fished with some legendary people, but is there one person to you that you would say, and that person... Maybe the way it is that they look at things, the way that they do things, the way they, you know, I don't know, their approach on the water that you really are drawn to, that you really you know, think is special. You know, there's one guy, my dad, the best. You know, he's the best there's ever been. So even just, and the reason why I can't name anybody else is because it's a combination of what I feel like are the best fishermen in the world. I fished all over with everybody, and the people that I've got right now as my contacts, which you would even be one of those. 
you would be somebody I would call inshore. So you, along with 15 guys that are stretched out from Louisiana to Key West to the East Coast, I know I can call them and say, hey. At least get an update. Yeah. And know and, that it's pretty spot on. But there's uh, – you know, Tommy LaRange is one of the best. He's part of the puzzle. But in reality, I'm a fisherman. I fish tournaments. I'm competitive. And the best fisherman in my mind is me. And it's not to be egotistical, yeah. but I'll go against anybody. My confidence will be there. And you know what? I'll accept losing. Sure. You know, if, but if you don't think I'm going to go into something thinking I'm the man, you know what I mean? Then Then don't go. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're there and you don't think you can win, you're crazy. I beat the Watts brothers. Now, they've whipped me <laughs> I was gonna say. like bunches of times. But <laughs> for me, it's like I came in sixth in Chalmette in that Redfish Cup ESPN deal. And everybody's like, oh, you came in sixth. Now, yeah, but I beat the Watts brothers. They weren't before me. <laughs> right. I was first. You beat the Watts brothers. You're first place. I, I Rick Murphy, agree. all them guys were behind me. I couldn't agree more. You know, but. To them, it was a bad day. To me, it was the glory of my fishing, you know, experience yeah, yeah. fishing against the best there is. Yeah, yeah. I had, yeah. I had so much fun at the uh, the very first FLW Redfish tournament that there was. A three day event, two days. Top five guys fished the third day with cameras in the boat, and Rick Murphy, Jeff Page, the Watts brothers, Kenny Hyatt, and I were all in the top five. And at the end of that thing, Murphy and Page beat us, and, and Murphy and Page weren't fishing Tough together. Ones to beat. They weren't fishing together at the time. Right. Actually, first and second, but the Watts brothers were behind us. That's and all rem- you care about. I, I remember thinking to myself, hey, you know what? I'll take that. Right. I'll take that. You know, the the, the tournament I won a Southern Redfish Tournament Pro Am was my very I first. Remember those? My very first pro win ever, and it was out of Ruskin, which I was guiding out of Ruskin every day at the time, and uh, and there wasn't very many. But I tell people. There wasn't very many boats in it. I think there was 36 boats in it or something like that. It wasn't a big event. But the Watts brothers were there. Jeff Page was there. Woody Gore was there. There was a lot of really good fishermen. So to me, it was a pretty impressive win because you beat some guys. John Oliverio from Powerpole was at that event. He finished second. You know, to beat those guys guys there. Yeah, you're just like, if you can beat those guys, you had a pretty good day. Now, before we get crazy here, I want you, you used to tell a story about your dad finding spots offshore before all the fancy electronics. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. He did a ton of trolling. But but how did, I mean, so let's just kind of go over that because I don't, you know, the new age anglers can't even imagine how talented. When you said your dad, it's what jumped into my head. Yeah. was how talented those guys were to do what they did back in the day without all the fancy electronics. Well, and you know, since then there was things, and I think I know what you're talking about. We'd pull out a longboat pass, two and a half beers (laughs) at a 240. Okay, (laughs) halfway done with the third beer, that's where we start fishing. But as I... some technical stuff right there. And I've worked that area heavy. I've worked it. And you know where he was? He knew his speed... Because of looking at the chart, he knew his heading, and he was heading to that Swiss cheese bottom. He wasn't necessarily heading for a certain number, number right. but he knew he could hold a compass. And that's where, 
you know, and that that's a whole nother thing about running a boat on long runs. A lot of people like looking at their GPS, which is kind of, to be honest with you, a nightmare because it's not real time. The way you really should run a boat is you look at the point you're going to that's however many miles away. Let's say you're running from Apollo Beach to the center span on the Skyway. You should take your GPS, run it over there to the center span, hit the button, and look at your heading. And then not look at that again. Watch your compass. That's real time. If not, you're going to end up zigzagging. And I, and when I run offshore, if somebody can't drive a boat, I will say that. I, it, it, one of my things that drives me crazy, we're burning more fuel and we're taking more time to get there. Where they're trying to wait for the GPS to catch up. The compass ain't catching up. The compass turns when you turn. Sure. So to learn how to drive off a compass is super important, plus it's fuel efficient. But, you know, one other person, family, I wanted to give credit to, and I really think about when I turned over and started going back into offshore buying bigger boats, um, it had to be during that kingfish time with the Croftons. Um, Dwayne Crofton, Kevin Crofton, Darren Crofton, Casey, all of those guys getting on those big boats. I was sponsored by Hydrosport, Alex, some of the best people in the industry. Um, he got me into it. It was a pro circuit. I was kind of a fill-in. So a lot of the bigger tournaments, which I was okay with, Mississippi, Key West, which I have fished before, I, right. I, I they didn't need me. Right. You get into Venice, Louisiana, there ain't much going on. You don't have much of a crew. Boom, they could pull me in and I'd fish with them. And that's where I learned to fish Venice was with, you know, Kevin Crofton and his dad. It's a good bunch dad. to learn from. Well, and they had the SKA – record right 66 pounds i think it may still be the alabama state record but i don't know that for sure but uh just good people and those are the people that got me into hunting i was hanging out with them fishing on their team all year and then all of a sudden it becomes october we've already done national championship whatever ska right. and like hey are you going hunting and well i've never been let's go okay <laughs> right. And all of a sudden, I'm back to killing stuff. And I'm thinking, like, man, when I was a little kid, I would have died to have this, you know, walking around with a BB gun, shooting lizards. And now it's okay. Yeah. Now we got thousands of acres. This is great. But, yeah, it's uh, it's that was probably one of the families that really got me into it and uh, getting back into it, Yeah. you know, in different ways. Like they did a lot of live bait, slow trolling. Sure. My dad was always strictly Gulf Mexico and the Keys. Well, when I went with the Croftons, it could be East Coast because you're in that SKA Pro deal, and they're all over. They all go all the way to Carolinas, sure. Savannah, Georgia, back over to Texas. So you get to really see a lot of the fishery. You find a lot of talented guys at that level because they have to learn to fish different estuaries. Jim Nassett. Jim Nassett, I mean, Pro Marine, jumped into my fisherman. head right away because I fished with him in Charleston. I fished with him in Venice, Louisiana. You know, they go all over the place. It's crazy, you know, and how you get, you know, takes so much time and so much energy and so much effort to get good in all those different areas. Well, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, you hear somebody talk now about getting into tournaments and they tell you, well, you know, I catch fish about every time I go out here, and I go, well, your tournaments now are going to start being everywhere else. You know, That's... you, you got to produce there. That's the, you know, the it's the network. Yes. That's where you're going to get that. I was talking to somebody earlier today, and I, I always refer to the, to the Vils, Jacksonville and yep. Titusville, because when I first jumped on the Redfish Tournament Trail, and I could not for the life of me figure those two bodies of water out. I just couldn't. Titusville... Mosquito Lagoon has no tide. 
Water moves on the wind. Well, we're all tide sensitive here in Tampa. Where I learned to catch redfish, it's very tide sensitive. Oh, yeah. Then you go to Jacksonville where the tide is anywhere from four to eight feet and it happens overnight. So you're catching fish in a creek one day and then overnight the fish have to leave because there's no water in that creek. Right. And there's eight million creeks. So what's to make them come back up that creek the next day? It just is crazy. So it's interesting. And as you get to where you can fish different estuaries as you learn that, that's when you can start to compete. And I think that's when you really improve as a as an angler well, on and even, that tournament trail. Sure. Even some of these offshore tournaments are a little easier than what you're talking about because if, if you're up in St. Augustine and you got six motors on the back of your boat <laughs> and you don't know how to fish St. Augustine offshore – Run to the keys. Right. <laughs> Come back today and weigh the fish. Right. I mean, I've heard some crazy stuff on this coast where they go, oh, where'd you go? Dry Tortugas. Right. Which From is, where? Tampa? How far is that? No, it's Tampa. a long way. It's a long ways. Yeah, I, I think it's a... Uh, a three-hour run one way? got to be 90 miles from Key West. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 70 miles or something. I mean, it's, it's, it's out it's there. Yeah, it's a long way. Yeah, it's further than the tail end buoy out there. That's you know, <laughs> yeah. past some more cases. That's a tough run, but that's what they do. You yeah. know, yeah. we uh, we saw it with a local guy on that Mississippi billfish tournament last year. Um, the big Freeman. Yeah. yeah, he he was in Venice Marina. They'd been out three days in that center console. You know, and I, where are you going? Oh, we were over by Texas, and we're coming home back to Mississippi. And we saw him in Louisiana getting fuel. <laughs> right. It's the only complaint he had about the boat. He wish it held <laughs> twice as much fuel, then you wouldn't have to stop. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Thank you so much for spending yeah, time man. with me this afternoon. Great dude. I time. appreciate it. I appreciate it. I know the listeners will love some of that insight from you. And obviously, they can always catch us you know, every Sunday morning on 620 WDAE as we do our team, Honey Company Real Animals radio show. But just to give them a little time with you direct. So there you go. It. Thank Good you. Stuff. Thanks, brother. Hey, there's my uh, my interview with my good friend Mike Mahoney from TA Mahoney Company. You know, I love getting some of that history from these rich, um, old school companies that have been here in the Tampa Bay area for many, many years. Uh, I've probably heard that story before uh, about them coming from downtown in the port area and moving out there to 50th and Adamo. I've probably heard it 10 times, but it never really gets old because it's such a great success story the way the Mahoney family has kind of just kind of transformed themselves through the years, been able to stay on the cutting edge of the marine retail business the way they have. And then, you know, Mike's been a great friend of mine. We've hunted together and fished together. So really, really enjoyed that. Hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast because we'll be trying to bring these to you every Tuesday. You should be getting some some new episodes. A uh, big thank you out to our presenting sponsor, Contender Boats. If you haven't seen the new Contender 44 ST, you can jump on some of my social media and check it out there. Incredible boat. Absolutely incredible. 78 miles an hour if you put four motors on the bad boy. And that's, uh, that's pretty impressive for a boat with a 12 and a half foot beam. So love our good friends over there at Contender Boats. Remember, you can, if you've got some ideas for some people you want us to interview, some podcasts you want us to do, you can reach us at Facebook slash Real Animals on the Facebook side. You can reach us on Instagram at Real Animals TV, on Twitter at Real Animals Fish. Make sure you uh, drop us a note, say hello. We appreciate you listening.
This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles. Quick fix on Radio Influence. Looking back to this offseason with the Buccaneers, it started off really with a bang with Bruce Arians coming in here, uh, Todd Bowles, and they brought in Byron Leftwich, and they brought in a bunch of assistant coaches, and everybody was happy about the progress and where everybody was going. And uh, I don't know if people are quite as happy now with free agency and that first and second wave going and what the Bucks did and didn't do. If you look at what they've gained and lost, okay, uh, we, we are way behind the eight ball. I mean, it's not close. You brought in probably five or six guys that we're hoping can play better than they have. I mean, that's not what free agency is about. Free agency is about bringing somebody in and penciling them in and go, there you go, there's a player like JPP. That's, that's, a, that's a move. We, there's no, there's nobody changing anything uh, uh, for free agency. We're, we haven't changed anything. We've lost a lot. We lost Quan Alexander. That's a big deal, people. It's a big deal. Period. We lost Humphreys. You know, that was Jameis. You know, that was his go-to in the crunch. We lost him. We didn't replace him by then. We didn't replace him with anybody. So. To see other teams out there, championship teams, teams that are 10 and 6 and 11 and 5, getting better during free agency, and we're sitting and getting worse. Um, I mean, if you look at the way this team is constructed and you have to give Jason Light a grade, it's F. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.